I want to pose a question to you right up front here. And the question is, what can I give God? What can I give God? You see, so many people end up saying, well, I, I, do, I, I, I don't have anything to give to God. And here's what I want to say to you. It's not really about your money. Like, <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but God has enough money. God has plenty of money. Um, <laughs> one chapel doesn't, but God does. <laughs> so you've so you got to realize that the, the, the scriptures say that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's, he doesn't need your money. But what God knows is that he knows you and I need to give right. to become more like him. That's what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is a giver, and when we give, we become more like God. And so it's a practice, and it's a practice that goes far beyond your money, far beyond your money. It's, a, it's an attitude, it's a way of thinking about life. But so many people, so many people in the world today Everything is about how much they can accumulate, which means they start thinking, I don't have anything to give because I've got to accumulate more. It's a common problem today in our culture. It's a terrible lie that I don't want you to leave here with. And so, in fact, it's kind of always seemed a little odd to me. Christmas is Jesus's birthday <laughs> and we get the gifts. Like, like there's something about giving. As Christians, we give gifts to remember the greatest gift. That's what these symbols, these symbols that we give each other and we share gifts with each other is about the greatest gift we've ever received. And as always, please remember, like if you didn't have money to give today, no guilt. There's, that's the worst thing that you could take with you today. Because I know if you could, you would. And in the past, you probably have. And in the future, I know you will. Because everybody somehow wants to be a giver, but sometimes they're stuck with a lie in their head. There's something that you and I can give to Jesus this year for his birthday. And it's found in the story of the Magi, the wise men. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. You can turn there with me, Matthew chapter two, and we're gonna read from there. If you wanna turn on your Bibles, or you can follow along in the message notes already prepared for you. Just scan that QR code and you'll find those. So Matthew, he loves the Magi, the writer, the Gospel writer Matthew, he loves the Magi. In fact, he writes more about the Magi than he does about the birth of Jesus which seems weird to me. But he writes all about this story and he shares this story about them. And there's a lot we know, we don't know, right, about them. They, they're kind of mysterious figures. Here's a few things we do know. There were probably more than three. Sorry to bust up your nativity set. <laughs> there were probably more than three and there, was, there were these, 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 this whole band of people that traveled together, uh, probably, you know, you, you remember this, they weren't actually at the stable where Jesus was born. They came later. And so I'm really wrecking your Christmas right now, 
Great, Christmas is ruined. I set up the nativity set yesterday. No, it's, it, the story unfolds and Jesus uh, is, a, is a young child when they come to see him. These wise men, they were astronomers. They were brilliant men of education and science. They studied the stars. Some Bible scholars have suggested they were also astrologers and they were into you know, some sorcery and practical pagan priesthoods. But they were men of means for sure because they couldn't travel without that. And were at least, they were at least thoughtful about the scriptures because they'd heard the Old Testament prophecies of a Messiah of a savior who was going to come. So they set out to find this Messiah. They traveled over a thousand miles, most Bible scholars believe, following a star. So here's how Matthew says it. In Matthew 2, verse one, he says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? He saw, we saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Now they went to Herod for help. They were trying to find the baby Jesus. And so they asked him for help. And of course, Herod was a very insecure and threatened king. He is, it's, it's, it's world famous. All the history books talk about it. He ended up killing his uh, brother and his son and his wife because they were going to take his kingdom uh, from him. So he, he, he was a threatening individual. So he, he lies to them and he says, hey, as soon as you find him, why don't you come back to me so I can go and worship him too? And he was, he was lying. So he wants to kill the child. Feels threatened by this Messiah. Verse nine says, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Today's Advent theme is joy. Here they are. They finally found the child. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They, then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now these gifts are symbolic. Gold is a gift that was always given to a king. Kings gave gifts to each other, and often gold was in those gifts. But all of the subjects gave gold to the king. Incense, you only burned typically for, you burned before deity or gods. It was, a, it was an incense that you used to burn. Myrrh is a burial spice. Little did they know they were being prophetic about what was to come that Jesus would give his life and die. So his royalty, his deity, his humanity were all foretold by these gifts. And this is the way the Bible works. Over and over again, you will see these foreshadowings. You will see these pictures, these metaphors as we, as we read the scriptures about what is happening. And it's all referring to God's mysterious work to reveal who he is in the world. But what if we don't think we have anything to give? Well, it's in the story. 
What you have to give is in the story we just read. It's in there. You might have missed it, <laughs> which is why I'm here. So I'm glad you're here too. The wise men didn't just bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They also gave Jesus something every one of us can give. Every one of us can offer. Number one, we can give God our hope. You don't think about that as a gift you can give him. But it really is something incredible that God delights when you put your hope in him. Verse 2 says, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When everyone else was seeing darkness, when everyone else was seeing darkness, what were the wise men seeing? A star, the light. When night comes, what do you see? Do you see the darkness or do you see the light of hope? What do you see when the night comes, darkness or stars? Well, almost everybody. I mean, I live out in Belterio. That's still a dark uh, community, I think they call it. That's a dark, I can't remember how they call it, that. <laughs> but it's a terrible name. But what it means is when you look up, most of the time, most nights, you can see the stars still. And then over here, you see the blazing lights of Austin. <laughs> But do you see darkness or stars? You see stars. People can fo fixate on the stars or they can focus on the darkness. Hopelessness or hope? What do you see when things go bad, when it seems like it's dark in your life? Do you carry that hope? Do you see hope? Could it be that God is trying to help us see the light all around us? The answer is yes, always. This is what he's always doing. He's always trying to help you know that there is hope even when it looks dark. Even when it looks dreary. Even when it looks like it's beyond anything you can do to fix the problem. John 1.5 says, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Many of you are facing really dark and challenging moments today. It happens around Christmas time every year. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the season. Maybe it's the busyness. Maybe it's the idea that Jesus is always trying to break through in the messages and the devil works overtime. I don't know. But some of you are sitting here and you're really facing difficult situations, difficult and challenging moments. I remember in my life I've had many very challenging moments. One of them happened 16 years ago where I was a worship pastor in a very large church in Colorado Springs, and our pastor failed spectacularly, morally, uh, he, he failed, and it became national news, and many of you know that about my story, some of you don't, but it was incredibly disappointing to have a mentor and a leader and a person that you fully trusted and followed for many years suddenly come to, you come to this realization that the lie has been being told all this time. And it's heartbreaking to people when somebody who is in charge, you realize that they've been lying about things. You realize that they haven't done what they said they would do. And there's something so heartbreaking about it when a pastor or leader or somebody 
that you trust and you believe in, a mother, a dad, a grandfather, a person at work, a teacher, a coach, and suddenly you realize it all, it all comes apart. And then you don't know what to do. How do you fix it? In that church, 13 months after that scandal, which was nationwide and publicized for all kinds of people because he was a very influential man, 13 months later, we had a man walk in, into our church with a 1,000 rounds of ammunition around him and start shooting people. 13 months. We had a scandal and a shooting. Two girls lost their lives that day. It was, I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was like our church was walking through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> By the way, I became the interim senior pastor after, during that season and if you ever get a chance to be an interim season senior pastor, I, I don't recommend it. It's not great. It's really hard. It's really bad. And I remember every week there would be all this very difficult stuff, this heavy, all these heavy things. And one of the, all these heavy things I had to deal with, and I would, go, I would end up going on a Saturday night and just pacing around the auditorium, you know, 25, 30 times, just praying. And every Sunday, I remember getting up, feeling totally unprepared, totally not ready for this moment, and suddenly God would speak to people. It was a, kind of a miracle, because I wasn't that good. I'm better now, but I, but I wasn't that good. One of the things that happened was, on the day the scandal broke, we had a baby. It was our fifth baby, Owen Alexander Parsley. He was born 10 pounds, five ounces. Oh my gosh, it was so amazing. <laughs> my wife is a hero. But I remember the darkness of that time. I remember the, the sadness. I remember hoping somehow that there was a time coming when, it would, when the sadness would end. And every day during that year and during the next year after that, I would go home and I would hold this little baby and I'd look into his eyes, deep pools of blue, and I would find hope. Because I would... I would remember, I'd get context, right? This is, this is what's important. This person that's been given to me is gonna grow up and what's going on now, he will never really know. It won't have affected him. He'll just, he'll just observe the effects of what happened. And if I can pass the tests of this season, something really amazing will happen to this young man. And it's pretty much true. He's 16 years old now. He made your coffee this morning. If it's bad, I'm sorry. <laughs> but he loves Jesus. He loves the church and he loves his parents. And that's enough for me. But most of you don't realize 
those dark times defined me. And I found hope for the future by looking into his eyes. You and I have to be able to see hope when it's darkest, when it's difficult. Life is incredibly hard sometimes, but hope is a powerful, powerful thing. And it will help you overcome. You can give your hope to God. If you're grieving this season, which many people are because Christmas reminds them of those they've lost. If you're grieving, you can put your hope in God because you will see them again. Right, like, like, like this is what 1 Thessalonians 5 says. It says, for the Christian, we don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. You can give your hope to God today. Isaiah 49, 23 says, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. No matter how difficult this season might be, please remember, you can give God your hope. Put your hope in him. Number two, we can give God our persistent pursuit. We can give God our persistent pursuit not our lazy bones, our persistent pursuit. This is what happened to the wise men. Verse nine says, the wise men went their way. Most Bible scholars believe it was a, at least a two-year journey. A two-year journey. They gave God their time. Two years of pursuing him. Imagine that, two years. No inside plumbing. Two years of travel, of work, of carrying stuff, of carrying all this stuff to find him. Two years of searching, and they kept going, and they kept going. <laughs> here's, a cool, here's a cool idea. This is what you'll talk about at lunch. Before the wise men gave Jesus their presence, they gave him their presence. Some of you are still like, what? Oh, I, okay, okay, I get it. They not only brought him presents, they gave him two years of their life. They gave him their presents. They came to where he was, and they came to him. Listen, wise men still seek him. Wise women still pursue him. Wise people don't let the storms of life or the winds of worry or the difficulty of the distance that they're facing stop them from moving towards Jesus. Maybe this Christmas, you and I decide to spend some more time with God. Don't just let the season take you. You take time to worship, to pray, to read the scriptures, to give God your persistent pursuit. You know, it's a lot easier to follow through in January if you've made a habit of it in December. If you resist all the busyness, when January comes, it's like, oh, I got plenty of time. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. How much? All your heart? Pieces of your heart? Parts of your heart? No, all your heart. If you seek me, you will find me if you'll seek me with all your heart. I've got a, I lead a men's group with Spiro Stavros. And really, truth be told, Spiro Stavros leads it, and I just attend. And I'm so grateful for this group called Brotherhood, and we meet on Friday mornings at 6.30 a.m. If you're looking for a men's group, you should come and join us. It's kind of out west a little bit on 290. But, it, but one of the things we talk about more than anything else is this idea of not giving up. It just seems to come around in almost every discussion because men want to give up. 
Men want to be lazy. Men get discouraged. We end up talking about perseverance, persevering through the difficulty, persevering through the hard times, having determination that keeps you on track, persistence that becomes part of your life. It's something all men really need, another man to help them remember, you're gonna be okay. Keep going, don't give up. I'm sure women need that as well, I'm just not a woman. Okay, I'm going to keep going here. The last, this, la, this last semester, you know, we've been talking about this idea of what a disciple is. We, we, I mean, over and over again, I just keep saying it. I keep helping. And by the way, we're not done yet. We're going to spend the next year talking about the same thing. I promise it won't feel like retreads. But it, this, this is what God's calling us to, is to recapture what it means to really follow him. And what it means to persevere in following him. What it means to live a life that, that, that chases after him as just part of who we are. What does it mean to be a disciple? We have a, we have a definition, and that definition is based on an idea. And that idea is persistence. Look what it says. A lifelong learner. Oh, it never ends. I'm always learning. I don't become an expert. I always learn. A lifelong learner, follower, and friend of Jesus who helps others become a lifelong learner, follower, and friend of Jesus. It's a long journey. It takes time. It's not a quick fix. It's not a convenient trip to the store. God is calling each of us to pursue him with persistence, not casually, not just when we feel like it, but to run after him with all our hearts. Number three. You can give God your hope. You can give God your persistent pursuit. And you can give God your worship. We can give God our worship. Verse 11 says, they bowed down and worshiped him. (laughs) Did you know that that God is not actually seeking worship? He's not seeking worship for himself. He doesn't necessarily need your worship. He is secure and (laughs) self-sustaining. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he even has relationship with himself. You know, that's how this works, is God is a relational being in his core, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all all what we're doing here is all that's happened is God has invited us into an already existing relationship. A little theology for you guys there this morning. But here's what John 4.23 says. It says, yet time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He's looking for worshipers. He's looking for people who will chase after him, who will honor him, Because worship is a response. Everybody say response. It's a response to what we value most. It's a response to what we value most. By response, I mean we give ourselves to what we value most, right? We give ourselves to what we value. All you fantasy football players? Oh, all of you ashamed now? We're getting to the end of the season. You lose. You stink. You stink. All that time and energy you spend on all those people, all those draft picks, all that trading and... I know it's fun, 
But man, it takes a lot of time. Be careful. Whatever takes the most of your time is what you will worship. By worship. Worship is a response to what we value most. And when I say it gets us, what I mean is it gets our time, it gets our affection, it gets our energy, it gets our money, it gets our loyalty, it gets everything. So how do we do it? How do we do this the right way then? How do we worship God? How do we give God our worship? Mark 12, 28, he answers the question. Jesus does. He says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, Most of you have heard that passage before. But what was he saying? What is he really saying here? He's saying all your heart and soul. What is that? All your heart and soul, that's your affection. All your affections go to him. Well, what about my spouse? Can I have affection for him or her? Yes, but affection for God will make you a much better lover of a person. Affection, your heart and soul just fixated on God. All your mind, your attention. Give God your attention. Be attentive to him, what he's doing, what he's saying. All your strength, your abilities, all your abilities are for him. They're not for you alone. They are for you, but they're not yours alone. They're God. All your abilities go to him. You use them for him. What are you worshiping is really the question. I can tell you, if you answer these three questions, answer these three questions, it'll tell you what you are worshiping. What do you give your affection to? What do you love the most? What do you love the most? You answer that question, that'll tell you what you worship. What do you give your attention to? What do you think about the most? Oh, this is a tough one, you guys. What do you think about the most? You think about yourself the most? You think about your concerns the most? You worry about the future the most? You think about what you don't have the most? This is the power of giving yourself to God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength, because something happens to your brain. You get rewired when you start fixating and focusing on him. He rewires you on the inside. And even when hard times happen, you don't lose hope. But if you don't give him your attention, and your affection, and you're far from him, when dark times come, it's hard to find hope. What do you give your ability to? In other words, what do you do the most? What do you do the most? All guys, this is like their first question. Hey, what's your name? Blue Ross. What do you do? (laughs) I do a lot of things. What do you mean? No, it's about our work. What do you do the most? And where, how does it get focused? Does your career get all of your worship? Is there any left What are you worshiping? 
And of course, this is what makes today so special. We're talking about legacy. We're talking about who we are as God's people and how to make a difference. We're talking about what do you give your, uh, all, all of your affection and heart and life to? Serve, because giving is worship. Serving is worship. Loving people is worship. <laughs> it's what God wants from each of us. This, you guys can, you guys can come and we'll, we're, gonna, we're gonna worship for a moment here at the end. I was out shopping with my wife on Friday. It was her birthday. 24th anniversary of her 29th birthday. <laughs> and it was, and it was, and, and, and we, I mean, we did it all. This is kind of a typical thing for us. We, this is what she loves to do. She wants to go shopping every year. I say, well, you know, there's Amazon, and there's, uh, you know, you can just order it online. And she's like, no, I like to be in the store. It's Christmas shopping. Yeah, it's not just shopping for her. Like, she doesn't care about her birthday. She wants to go Christmas shopping on her birthday. So she goes Christmas shopping. I take her Christmas shopping, so we did it all. But it was her birthday, so I bought her three pairs of shoes. took a long time, people. <laughs> I spent more time than I ever want to spend at a DSW. I went to, we went to Five Below, we went to Target, we went to Walmart, we went to the mall. It was an all-day thing. <laughs> it was hard. But I loved every minute of it. Not because I love shopping, but because I love her. I am madly, deeply in love with her, so I'll do anything that she wants to do. I'll go anywhere she wants me to go. And that love extends far beyond my preferences, far beyond my conveniences, far beyond what I, what I want to do. It fixates and focuses on what she needs. And I think this is a picture, right? Marriage is always supposed to be. You know, it isn't always. Our marriage is not always a picture of God's love for people or our love for Him. But marriage is supposed to be an illustration of that attention, that affection, that, those abilities, those things. And I want you to think about that this Christmas. Can you give that to God? Will you give that to God? Just stand up with me. And let's just finish with a simple little chorus. You can just sing it from your heart. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore. Oh, come, let us adore. Sing it again, oh come let us adore, oh come let us adore, oh come let us adore him, oh come let us adore him cry. Come on, for he alone is worthy. 
for he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. Oh, tell him. For he alone is worthy. Christ. Come on, sing that again. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy for he alone is worthy for he alone is worthy Christ. come on one more time we'll give him all the glory we'll give him all the like this father we want to give you our hope this season we want to place our hope in you we don't want our hope to be in anything else only you so we give it to you today in the middle of the darkness in the middle of the struggle in the middle of the circumstances we give you our hope and we give you our persistent pursuit forgive us Lord this year for just missing our way losing our way chasing after other things instead of chasing after you. Forgive us for pursuing so many other things. We want to pursue you. And Lord, we want to give you our worship, our time, our attention, our affection, our everything. Help us. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that you are with us. <laughs> we thank you that you are for us. And we thank you that we can turn to you at any moment and say, Lord, I need you. Thank you for this gift of Jesus. Thank you for the gift of repentance. Thank you that we can turn around and we can start following you and you welcome us with open arms. Thank you that this is true today, true in this season. In Jesus' name, amen.